Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather with this group of people, and I thank you for those that will uh, tune into the podcast or uh, join us later uh, on uh, YouTube or on Facebook. And uh, I pray that uh, you will open your word to us, that we'll understand what we receive, and that we will allow our hearts to be changed by what we receive. Uh, We want to be different people, Lord. We need to shine the light in the world that we're living. It is uh, dramatically turning away from you, becoming hostile toward Christianity. And uh, I just pray, Father, that we won't be intimidated by that. But I also pray that we won't be aggressive, angry, uh, hateful, and turn people away from the faith or confirm their biases. I pray that we will be loving and kind and courteous people Uh, that will, as the name of our church indicates, that will live life well. We will be uh, people that will will draw others into the faith. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to turn back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to back up to the beginning of the chapter. Not going to reteach all this material, but I like to kind of keep us in line with what we've been doing. Um, So after discussing all of these divisions that the church is involving itself in, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ, and so forth, uh, he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards, that is managers, of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. First, who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Now, there's where we ended last week. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled we bless, when persecuted we endure, when slandered we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. 
That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Well, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Well, we'll see if I get that far tonight. That's a lot, right? Um, all right. So he says, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. And we talked about uh, what that was, that it is Christ who's the source of salvation, uh, that Christian leaders such as Paul and Apollos are like farmers, right? He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. That Christian leaders are like builders. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And uh, then he very clearly says that we're all being built into God's temple. Do you not know that you are God's temple uh, and that God's spirit dwells among you or within you? If anyone destroys God's temple, then God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Right? So he says he doesn't want anyone to be puffed up in favor of one against another. So this is what ends up happening when we divide into groups, right? We elevate our particular leader, be that a spiritual leader or a political leader. Or, I mean, I see people divide over all sorts of things, you know. Uh, there are people that are into, you know, movies and comic book stuff that are whatever. Like, you know, DC is better. No, the MC, you know, is better. Marvel is better, whatever. Really, I mean, people can divide over anything virtually, right? I've seen uh, people divide over, you know, whether they drive a Ford or a Chevy pickup truck. So, yeah, there is this tendency to, uh, to identify with a particular leader or a particular brand and then to be puffed up, right? So something that I, I really didn't, get into last week that I want to address very briefly. He says, for who sees anything different in you? I you to think about that for a minute. As the result of following Christ, who sees anything different in you? Are you just like everybody else in your set, in your group, in your tribe? Or do people see something different in you? Who are you identifying with? Are you identifying with a, a, you know, a character or a celebrity or a leader? Or do you seek to identify with Christ? Um, one person is not more important than the other person in the kingdom. Uh, we're told very clearly by the Apostle Paul in Galatians that in Christ, we're all one, whether male or female, back then, whether slave or free, whether Greek or Jew, we're all one in Christ. And so that's who we identify with. And But I think that that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Who sees anything different in you? So when you're, you know, with your family or when you're with a group of coworkers, do they see anything different in you? Now, I'm not saying that you're perfect, but are you shining the light of Jesus? Is there something different in you? And then if there is, 
you don't become puffed up. You don't become proud of it or about it. You're proud of the one who you are reflecting, right? So he says, and I did, I did talk about this briefly at the end last week, what do you have that you did not receive? Well, that's a rhetorical question, but your answer is nothing. You have nothing that you didn't receive. So, you know, it's interesting to me. I, you know, I observe people who are lifting weights at the gym all the time and, you know, think, oh gosh, you know, I keep injuring this part of my body and that part of my body and I'm not able to do what I want to do. And I, you know, I look at these young people and I remember being that age, you know, they're like, ah, and I'm like, you know, you may be working hard, but you don't have anything that you didn't receive. You didn't, you know, I see certain people that are very fit and they've worked at that, right? So to a degree, they did earn that body. But when I look at, you know, teenagers in particular, and I worked with them for a long time, so, uh, you know, it's not, uh, not a negative thing. But, you know, they get to that stage where their body is just, you know, it's very youthful, it's burning through the calories, it's, you know, and they just think, you know, wow, this is amazing and I'm amazing. But you didn't earn any of that. You didn't earn a thing, right? That's just what's happening to you. You're receiving that. So if you have the ability to think, if you have the ability to read, if you have the ability to receive what I'm saying to you right now, that's a gift. That's God's gift to you. Now, if you do something with it, then I think you can be grateful that you've had the discipline and you've worked through it. I'm not saying that you don't work at anything and you don't, as the result of working through something, uh, earn to some degree what you receive. But in the end, even my ability to, you know, to think or to write or to, to speak or to do whatever you do, right? You may have a quote unquote natural gift or you may have a supernatural gift, but the reality is you didn't earn that. You have it. Now you have, as the apostle Paul is saying here, you have a responsibility, an obligation to use it wisely, right? That's Jesus' uh, parable of the talents. You remember that story? Or in another, in Luke, it's the parable of the minas, M-I-N-A, and in Matthew, it's the parable of the talents. They're both measures of money. So back then, money was silver or gold, and so they weighed it, okay? So a mina, or a talent represented weight. So the more talents would be like pounds of gold or silver, and you're weighing that out. And so Jesus tells this story. It's easier, I think, to tell it with the parable of the talents because I think that it is rather providential that the word for that amount of gold is the word talent. And it's the very word that we use to represent these different gifts that we have, right? You have a talent for teaching, you have a talent for music, you have a talent for preaching, you have a talent for raising children, whatever. Um, but he, the master in this parable that Jesus told, if, if I'm just reminding you, I think most of you know this, some of you may or may not know this parable, uh, but the, uh, in the story, Jesus tells about a master who sends three of his servants out with different amounts of money to invest. He gives one servant 
five talents. So let's just call it five pounds. It's actually more than that, but it's easier to think of it that way, right? He gives, five pounds of gold would be a lot of money, right? It'd be a lot of money. Okay, I don't know what gold's trading at now, but it's well above $1,000, probably getting closer to $2,000 an ounce, right? And they measure, uh, they measure gold in the troy ounce, which means 12 ounces is a pound rather than 16, right? Um, but gosh, you know, let's just say for ease of figuring, uh, you know, it's, a, it's trading for $1,000 an ounce. Again, I know it's probably well above that, but that's $12,000 a pound, right? So five pounds, that'd be 60 grand, right? Now I've read these things before and this is like in the millions of dollars is what it is. So it's obviously more than a pound. But the point is he gives one guy, let's just say five pounds of gold. Gives another guy two pounds and he gives another guy one. All right, or girl, servants. They go out and the master goes and he does his business and then he comes back and he calls them to account. And the guy with five comes and says, uh, here, I invested this and I earned you five more. So see, they all recognize this was not their money. Up, 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 up. Are you listening? You see, this is my life. This is my talent. This is my time. Really, what do you have that you did not receive? The answer is nothing. So this servant comes back and he doubled it. Now he, you know, gives him 10. The master says, enter into the, you know, enter into the joy of your master and he gives him more responsibility. Now in the parable of the minas, he gives them charge over that many cities. And by the way, this is what leads me to understand heaven is not going to be you sitting around on a cloud playing a harp. We got things to do. The Apostle Paul said, in fact, we're going to get to it in the next chapter uh, in 1 Corinthians. He says, do you not know that you will judge angels? Then why can't you judge these trivial cases on earth? You are being prepared for something greater than this. So why is it that all we think about is this and we think of heaven as just being this place of, I don't know what, endless pleasure and bliss? Really? You're going to get some rest. That's great. But then we're going to get put to work and I'm glad for it. Yes. I'm all about worship, man. I think that's great. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, there's a, a psalm that says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the temple of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Hey, I'm all about that. Give me a broom and let me sweep the door of the temple in heaven and I'm cool with that. I'll just listen to praise music and sweep. I like to sweep. Don't tell anybody that because I don't want to sweep everybody's house. But I do like to sweep. I don't know why. I just like to sweep. There's just something therapeutic about it. I hate doing dishes though, by the way. I don't know what it is about doing dishes. I do know what it is. I think when you're made to do something when you're little and you resist it, then you hate it when you're older. Yeah. And I used to ask my parents, why can't we get a dishwasher? We already have one. They would say, we already have one. You're the dishwasher. <laughs> you know, well, I was just thinking about this today as I was helping one of our parents haul some stuff into the church. If you have kids, they need to be doing stuff. You don't need to be doing it for them. 
they need to work. Now that was something my mom was good at. Taught me to do my laundry, taught me to make my own food. I was mowing the lawn. There's this picture that I reposted on Facebook and I remember being this kid. So if you know how tall the handle is on an average lawnmower, now you can adjust it to some degree. Then you'll know how old this kid is. It's a boy. So, you know, I'm identifying because I was a boy and he's got his arms up like this and he's mowing the lawn. Buddy, that was me. It was a lot easier to get under that handle and extend your arms and push that lawnmower. And then when you got to the end of the row, then you pulled it down and twirled it around and then pushed it back up again. Now, I thought, I thought that maybe I was exaggerating. I used to mow uh, my, I never called her my grandmother. She was my stepdad's mom. Her name was Ruby and I just called her Ruby. Amazing lady, she was so good to me. She really was. Uh, taught me how to play canasta. When my hands were so, do you know how many cards you gotta hold when you play canasta? It's ridiculous. My hands are like little hands and I'm like trying to hold all these millions of cards you gotta hold for. She loved playing canasta, we play canasta. She taught me how to knit, or not knit, no, crochet. Oh, don't tell anybody I don't want to do stuff like that. <laughs> but she did. You know, she taught me how to do it. Knitting is too complicated. It's yeah. just too hard. Yeah, I'm sorry. Those of y'all that know how to knit, wow, that's, that's just hard. That's way hard. And I never, I, she taught me how to crochet, but I can only make like one of those little worm things. Because then you got to tie them together. And I was like, eh, I can't do that, you know. But she was cool, man. She was, she was really cool. But I used to mow her yard for $3. Wow. Yep. Now, I thought, you know, I was young. I'm probably over-exaggerating the size of that yard. Okay. You know how Google has satellite photos of all these places? So my stepdad, that's, as far as I know, that's still his house. You know, she passed away. His dad passed away. They... You know, that's his house right now. I'm looking at this satellite. Well, not satellite. I'm sorry. Not satellite photo. It's the ones where they, they take the picture where they drive by. You know what I'm saying? Google just drives everywhere. They take a picture so you can like zoom in and then you've got, that's a huge yard. I was like, you're right. That was hard work. I busted my tail end on that. And you know how much money I made? Three dollars. Three dollars. And then, and then I got a raise and I got doubled and I made $6. But she had Bermuda grass and I was allergic to Bermuda when it went to seed. So literally I would just, my eyes would almost be shut by the time I was done mowing that yard with all of the stuff blowing around and whatever. But you know what? It taught me to work. And I have worked my whole life. My sister never did, never worked. I think she had one job for a short period of time and it was not good for her. It's not healthy for people not to work. But you know what? Even the ability to work is a gift, right? Not everybody can work. Not everybody can mow a yard. So I'm not complaining about that. I'm grateful for it. And I think that people need to do that, right? So um, let's look at this next passage. 
Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And then he goes and he talks about all of the difficulties that the apostles have to deal with, right? And he compares it, or I should say contrasts it with the fact that, oh, let's just jump in the middle here, verse 10. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. Wow. To the present, we hunger and thirst were poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. Homeless. These are the apostles. They're homeless. Jesus said to those that wanted to follow him, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We're all trying to build these kingdoms down here, and God's trying to teach us how to be a part of building his kingdom, right? Um, but this statement that starts it off, that he's responding to, already you have all you want, already you've become rich, without us you've become kings, you know, there's a certain type of gospel, if you want to call it that, that's preached. Sometimes it has been referred to as the prosperity gospel, right? There's a, an approach to life that some people have. Um, you know, they, they seem very motivational when they speak. But uh, I think that the overarching term you could apply to this approach to life is triumphalism that we're never supposed to lose, we're never supposed to get sick, we're always supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now, I believe the Lord wants to bless you. I believe the Lord wants to give you what you need so you can be a blessing to other people. But what we need to understand is it's the process that we're involved in. It's not an end where you know, I have everything that I want. Look at people who do have everything they want. Why are they unhappy? Because by and large, you run into a tremendous number of people who, you know, we think these celebrities, they're just, you know, they're rich, they're famous, they, you know, they're on talk shows and, you know, they're interviewed and all. Then why are they constantly medicating with drugs and alcohol? Because they're not happy because this isn't what it's about. We just need to figure that out. And you need to realize, I'm looking at people in this room and probably I'm not looking directly at you, but there you are, right? And you're not rich. I bet you're not rich. You're probably not watching me if you're rich. <laughs> I bet none of you are rich, right? We're rich to have Jacob here tonight and his birthday. But Jacob, you're not rich, are you? You don't have like a secret million dollars squirreled away somewhere. I don't think so, probably not. But you know what Jesus said? He said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom. Wait, in Luke's uh, version of this, okay? So Jesus had the Sermon on the Mount and he had the, the Sermon on the Plain, as in not on an airplane, but <laughs> flat. Right? And the Sermon on the Plain is Jesus reiterating a lot of the things that we find in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew in a different place. Now, I've preached the same sermon on a number of occasions, many of the same sermons. On, you repeat these things because you want people to get them. You, even those of you that are here that haven't been coming that long, you've probably heard me repeat myself on several occasions. Jesus repeated what was important. And so in Luke, he repeats this. In Luke's version, he doesn't just give the Beatitudes, right? 
Blessed are the poor uh, in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, and so forth. But he has the woes. And one of the woes is, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort now. Is that what you want? Do you want your comfort now? Do you want it all now, right? It's like, you know, uh, Charlotte, a couple of weeks ago when I did the, the penny doubled every day versus getting $10,000, you know, she like asked it on her phone or whatever at the end. And it's, it's like $3 million or something like that, or $5 million. It, a penny doubled every day for a month. Now, if it's a 31 day month, it's, you know, this huge amount, it's like $10 million, right? The point is, if you want it all right now, that's all you get. Honestly, that's why you ought to be nice to atheists. Don't be mean to them. This is the best they're going to get, right? Atheists, agnostics, all these people that are caught up in false religions, be kind to them. Love them. Try to point to Jesus, but you know what? You don't need to be right in their eyes. You're right in God's eyes. What matters is can I be a good witness to them? And if not, I'm going to be as nice to them as I possibly can because this is as good as it's going to get for them. So if you really love people, then be nice to them, right? Uh, be kind to atheists. Be kind to these people that you think are, you know, are horrible or whatever. This is the best they're going to get. But we are investing in something that is beyond this, that is above this, right? Believe it or not, this statement and this idea of, of feeling like you have what you need. Okay, so I'm going to transition from, uh, from the, uh, the notion that, that uh, we've been looking at here of triumphalism and trying to achieve everything that you want, right? Because this is what false preachers do. This is what prosperity gospel preachers do, right? Um, this is the, the Benny Hens of the world. And there are those that will get mad at me for uh, being disrespectful to Benny Hinn, but I'm sorry he's a false prophet. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not been able to preach the gospel and people haven't been saved as the result and maybe even people healed as a result. But, you know, the Robert Tiltons and the Benny Hens and these folks that are focused on themselves and even, you know, uh, others that, that could be mentioned that are, that are out there that perhaps none of you would listen to, uh, but Kenneth Copeland. Do you know how rich this guy is? He's a billionaire on donations. These are guys that have all collected millions of dollars over the years, and they're constantly on the air collecting money, collecting money and they need more money so that they can fund their gigantic ministry, which is basically just a self-promotion enterprise. Um, you know, they're, they're begging their followers to donate money so that they can have private jets. Really? You need a private jet? No, I don't think so, right? That's a waste of your money is what that is. You're wasting your money. Now, you know what? If you're firmly convinced that this is the right thing to do and you're trying to honor God, I think God would probably try to convince you otherwise, but maybe even bless you financially for a little bit until you figured it out. But here's the point. There are folks who are very satisfied with where they are. Maybe they're not super rich, but they're just satisfied. 
right? So there was a there was a book that came out in the early 70s about bodybuilding. I know, what am I talking about bodybuilding for, right? But it was a book that uh, the title I think is, is uh, instructive. And the title of the book was Stay Hungry. And one of the, the featured persons in the book was Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was still a bodybuilder. But the idea behind that was stay hungry, always be willing to challenge yourself to new heights, to move forward. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter whether you're into, you know, bodybuilding or karate or, you know, chess. It doesn't, wherever you are in life, you need to challenge yourself to move forward. And above all, as a Christian, I need to be seeking to challenge myself to become more like Jesus. I need to stop being dumb, fat, and happy about everything. So this, believe it or not, does tie in uh, to the message or part of the message from Sunday. And the part of it that it ties into is the church at Laodicea. Now remember, he said, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And I focused on that verse. But I want you to listen to the rest of these verses and you'll see that these people were just very satisfied, didn't think they needed anything. Um, so I'll start with 15, which I just quoted. This is Revelation 3, verse 15. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, white clothes to wear so that you can come cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So interestingly, we may be rich with the world's goods, but that doesn't mean that we should have reason to be satisfied with our position. Because once again, the Lord says that we need to be building his kingdom and not our own kingdom, right? So what happens is for those that are not in that position, but are partakers of uh, this false prosperity gospel, they may be tempted to give away their money to all various online ministries and television ministries and radio ministries and so forth, to preachers that are using God, not teaching the gospel. And some of these individuals are unbalanced and others are downright heretical, and I mentioned a couple earlier. A celebrity musician recently posted this. He had these two pictures of himself, and he said, I am the light of the world. Okay. We reflect Jesus, who is the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, right? Now, Jesus did say of his followers, you are the light of the world. So I get that. But we're a reflection. So I posted a clarification of that. And I got all sorts of uh, negative comments from people. Why are you saying that? Why did you say that? What's, because to me, when a celebrity says, I'm the light of the world, somebody who is ostensibly, purportedly a Christian, they're not pointing to Jesus, they're pointing to themselves. And this particular person, in my opinion, has increasingly become more focused on certain causes 
rather than Christ. And so I was concerned, right? Um, the last time I took these notes, uh, I remember, now I remember because I put it in my notes at the time, that a preacher made a statement that could have come from the mouth, mouth of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. He said, you are too worried about your manhood and not concerned enough about developing your godhood. What? Wow. Well, no, you know, I guess it, it's possible he was using the term, quote unquote, godhood in his own way. But theologically, that should only refer to the Trinity. Hey, I'm not a god. You're not a god. There's one god, and you're not him. And I'm not him. And you're not her, <laughs> right? There's one god. And there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Uh, so that's who we follow, that's who we glorify, and of course, that's who we seek to become like. Um, so yeah, this is the problem. And so I would uh, push you back to Revelation, go a little further ahead. Um, in Revelation, there's none but the Lamb who's found worthy to open the scroll. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. This is glory to the Lord Jesus because of what he's done. And then a song is sung about him that will never ever be sung about anyone else but God. Don't buy the lie that says, we're here to become gods. By the way, that's the, the, the most blatant lie that is told by Mormonism. But you don't hear it until you get pretty far in, right? They believe that God, the God of this planet, is only one God of many planets. And they believe that the God of this planet was once a man. So when they say they believe in Jesus as the Son of God and so forth, they're polytheists. They believe in many gods of many planets and they believe that those gods were all once human beings, right? So the statement that is made in Mormonism is, as God is, you may one day become. Wow. No, no, listen to this. Then I looked, this is Revelation 5, 11 through 14. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Friends, we're not designed to be worshiped. That's the problem with celebrities. That's why they're never really happy. That's why they're on drugs. That's why they commit suicide. That's why they're bored and sad and depressed because they are the object of everybody's worship. It was interesting. I was uh, watching this video. They have all these videos where they have various celebrities and they have questions that are asked by 
you know, people online and so forth of them. And so they had one where this fellow Tom Holland was being asked questions. You know who this guy is? This is the, the actor that portrays the most, most recent iteration of Spider-Man. And one of the questions was something along the lines of, do people ever question you about this or that? And he's like, well, no, really not, because well, of course not. When you're a celebrity, nobody ever questions you, right? They all want your autograph, or now these days, they want a selfie with you. They want to tell you that you're wonderful or you're amazing or you know whatever, because they want to be in your good graces. Nobody, you're not gonna surround yourself with anybody that would be critical of you, that would dare question you in any way. And he wasn't being arrogant about it. He was just, it was a moment of honesty. You know what, all of us need First of all, we need to surround ourselves with people that will build us up, okay? We really do. You don't need people that are hypercritical of you all the time. But you do need people that will offer constructive criticism and tell you how you can be better. And I say constructive criticism because that's the intent of their criticism. It is to build you up, right? And so if I'm doing something that is destructive, uh, harmful, um, or if I've made a mistake, I remember, I can remember, I, I, I used to love Vernon. He would read every single one of my posts on Facebook. And I mainly post scripture. And you know, occasionally you're just kind of going too fast and so, you know, get the reference a little off. And Vernon will be, Pastor, I don't think that's right. <laughs> Well, I knew Vernon wasn't trying to correct me and be mean to me and hateful and, you know, show me off or something like that. And I was like, oh, you're absolutely right. So I could go back and edit it and, you know, change it. So he wasn't checking up on me so that, you know, he could show me up or something. He, you know, was actually reading what I was writing and he wanted me to be correct. And so, you know, that way I would. So uh, the, the young man, one of the young people that I, I baptized on Sunday um, reminded me uh, and those of you that get the uh, get the uh, the text that I send, I send out a text every day with a passage of scripture. And the other day, I left without sending it. And as I was driving down the road, I thought, "Oh, I need to do that." So I was going to wait until I stopped at a light. And it's a little involved. I start the process, whatever. I normally do it in front of this computer, as a matter of fact. And I just. I, I never stopped and then I got to the gym and I worked out whatever and so he sent me a text and said oh no no I went to intrinsic because he works at intrinsic and he came by and I could barely hear him because I'm deaf in one ear and it's loud in there and whatever and he you know he said you never sent out the message I was like huh it didn't click right away so I said what he said you never sent out the message I was like you're absolutely right I never sent it he wasn't trying to tear me down. He wanted that scripture because he reads it every day and he wanted me to know. Well, I already knew what I was, I was gonna send out. Uh, that was Psalm 40, as a matter of fact, okay? Which I thought was appropriate. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to hear my cry. You had to wait patiently to get the scripture that day, right? That was kind of appropriate. But that's what I'm saying, you know, but if we're all so hypersensitive to criticism and, you know, sadly, that's, 
you know, that was the case with our previous president, just hypersensitive to anybody who would be critical. And of course, there were a lot of people that would be hypercritical. But you need to have people that are around you that are able to correct you, that are able to say, hey, I think that you need to do this differently. Now, they may or may not be accurate in their assessment, but you're never going to know until you are able to receive that criticism and evaluate it and if it's based on factual stuff to check it out basically right um so all that to say um we're never going to be jesus we can be increasingly christ-like and we should be willing to push ourselves to uh, greater heights and overcome certain things that we were not able to overcome previously right but this triumphalist prosperity gospel that wants us to, you know, have our best life now and, uh, you know, be driving a Mercedes and living in a mansion. Hey, man, you can drive a Mercedes. You know, you can lease one. They're not that expensive to lease. Okay. I thought about it, but I thought, what are the people in this church going to think if I <laughs> roll up in a Mercedes? I know the guy that leased my Maxima to me moved to a Mercedes dealer. And so when I was ready to switch vehicles, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna check, you know, and I did. And you know what? The payment would have been about the same as the Maxima. But you, it's what you're doing with these ridiculously expensive vehicles is you're just paying off the depreciation. Then you give it back and then they sell it. It's what happens. So it's like this truck that I'm driving. I like this truck. In fact, it's running even better now than when I first got it. Like I've been thinking here lately, wow. But I can't afford to buy it. At the end of the lease, it's ridiculously expensive. There's no way. If I was paying payments on this truck to buy it, it would be way above my pay grade, right? But I was able to get this good lease. You know, they're trying to get them out there, right? Nissan is like at the bottom of the heap when it concerns trucks, you know, it's Ford F-150s and, you know, then it's, I guess, Dodge and Chevy right here and, and Toyota over here and then Nissan's kind of down here. But man, they've come up with a really good truck and I like it and it's awesome and I'm leasing it. And, but yeah, I didn't want to give the wrong impression to people that, oh, the pastor of that church over there is just raking in the money, driving a Mercedes or something like that. In fact, when I get out of this, I'm, I'm really seriously thinking of looking at this new truck uh, that Ford is coming out with called the Maverick. It's small and it's a hybrid and it gets 40 miles to the gallon. And I'm thinking, now wait, it's $20,000. Now that's a lot of money, but new vehicles these days? You know what I'm saying? Maverick. Oh, there you go. I'm telling you. And so, you know, 40 miles to the gallon and 20 grand. And let's say I get a few upgrades, and so it's 25 grand. I may buy that one. I don't you. <laughs> and drive it around, right? But see, I don't have to have, I've been thinking about this lately. You know, when you're younger, you think you want this and you want that. And, you know, I see all the, the new Mustangs that are rolling around. They're really cool. I like them, whatever. I used to be a Camaro guy, but I haven't liked the Camaro in a while. But, I'm just like, you know what? It's not practical. What do I need that for? And I bought this truck or I'm leasing this truck and I like it and everything, but I just don't need anything this big. 
right? I thought I was going to maybe, you know, pull a trailer and whatever. I just don't, why do I need it? Why do you need to be paying all of this money? I mean, consider what you really need. Do you need these huge payments? You don't. You don't. And you might find that you're a whole lot happier not having all that stuff, right? Deaccumulate. Have less stuff, okay? So, yeah, so the Apostle Paul goes through all of this and he talks about how much they're suffering and so forth. And um, in the end, Philippians 4.13 is often used by triumphalists, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But nobody pays attention to what the Apostle Paul is saying around that or what he's saying when he leads up to it. He says, I know how to abound. That means I know how to have a lot. And I know how to have very little. And the secret, he said, is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So if you end up with a lot of money for some reason, then you need to trust the Lord even more, not less because you'll end up trusting that money. You can't serve God and mammon, God and wealth. And wealth can really become a God. It can be an incredible servant. And there are those rare people who they make money and they're just able to help a lot of other people by creating jobs, by giving to nonprofits, by doing all of this. So money is not the enemy. It's the love of money that is the enemy. So if you end up with some money, don't worship it and don't think like a kid. What, what happened, and I'm saying a kid, I mean a 20 something. As soon as you, you're younger and let's, you know, you're not married yet, you don't have kids yet, whatever, you're younger and you get that money, it's burning a hole in your pocket. You've got to immediately, you're thinking about what I'm gonna spend it on, what I'm gonna go buy, and what are you buying? You're buying junk for you that's just gonna not make you happy and it's gonna wear out and it's a waste, right? So we need to start thinking about how to invest in the kingdom and when we're that way, when we're, when we're kingdom-minded, then God is gonna supply us with what we need. So I'm gonna do what I did last week. Uh, I'm gonna read this next passage. This is the end of uh, chapter four, just to kind of let you know I titled this with verse 20, so I'm gonna to have to change the title because we didn't get to it. So the title of this week is, um, The Kingdom of God Does Not Consist in Words or in Talk, but in Power. So we'll talk about that next week. But here's the, here's the passage and I'll conclude. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Now it's a very short verse. It'd be a good one for you to memorize. There's too much argumentation and talk going on these days. You know what we need? We need to see some power. We need to see the power of God working in people's lives. Changed hearts, changed lives. Sure, healing, miracles, fine, all of it. But it always points to Jesus, right? That's what we need because people 
can't argue with the power of God. They can mislabel it like they did with Jesus, right? They said he's doing this by Beelzebub, the chief of the demons. Yeah, but they couldn't, they couldn't disagree with the fact that there was power there. So next week, and then we'll finish chapter four. So thank you guys for tuning in.